Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading Twice Freed by Patricia Sanjan with permission of Christian Focus Publications, and we are on Chapter 20. He was conscious of being lifted and carried somewhere, of agonizing jolting, of the murmur of voices, of sudden peace and silence, and then he knew nothing more until the following day when he awoke to find the afternoon sun making golden patterns on a courtyard covered over with vine trellises. He himself was lying on a couch in a little room, opening off the yard. Being very weak from loss of blood, he lay for a long time motionless, slowly remembering all that had happened. His stained purple and gold uniform had been removed, and he had been washed and, and clothed in a cool white linen robe. He was glad that all the blood had been washed away and his arm had been skillfully set, splendid and tight across his chest, and the wound in his shoulder was was cared for and dressed. Into what peaceful human paradise had he fallen? His last clear memory was the darkness, the black waters of the Tiber, in whose foul death he would have been lying now if it had not been for that face. He could not remember clinging to him as the anchor, but he was sure that through that mist of horror he had caught sight of the face of Master Aquila of Ephesus. He supposed that it must have been he who had brought him here and cared for his bleeding and saved his life. But did he want his life to be saved? Other memories came back in full force, his friend lying limp on the dark sand, the vile attendant disguised as Sharon hastening to strike him on the head with a mallet to make sure that he was really dead. That last gentle look of forgiveness and the whispered words of peace. Onismus turned his face to the wall so that none might see his wretchedness. He heard a light footfall in the courtyard and he looked up. A woman was standing gazing down at him and he had seen her face before. In just this way she had stood looking down on him on that terrible night when he had thought that Archippus was dead. And she comforted him and fed him. Mistress Priscilla, he whispered, wondering whether perhaps after all he had taken leave of his senses and was seeing ghosts. She went on staring down at him as though she too recognized his face and was trying to remember from where they had met. But the memory eluded her and she shook her head. Ephesus, said Onesimus in a weary voice. You sheltered me and put me to sleep with your little Levi on the night that Paul the Jew left the city. I remember. Her face was thoughtful. You were a poor frightened child then, looking for your master. You have greatly changed. How did you come to be in Rome? He had not thought out any plausible story, but realized that he was singularly free from fear, for these Christians would not betray him behind his back. My master set me free, he lied. I worked my way to Rome on a corn ship and won glory in the amphitheaters. So you were wounded fighting. I recognize the dress of the gladiator. You have bled much. You are fortunate to still be alive. I would I were dead, he blurted out. Mistress Priscilla, last night I killed my friend. What is life or glory to me now? There is forgiveness in new life, she said gently, but you must rest now and then one of the elders of the church will talk with you. See, I brought you a portion to ease your pain, and Master Luke, the physician who set your bone and, and cared for your wound, said he would look in before sunset. She gave him a soothing drink and arranged his pillow and went away to prepare a meal. 
The pattern on the floor got brighter and then faded altogether as the sun sank behind the tall buildings. Then the outer door opened and the physician who had attended him came in, examined him carefully, and readjusted his wounds. You look better, said Master Luke, but your arm was badly broken and you lost much blood. You must rest for a time. Onismus looked up troubled. Did Master Aquila bring me to his home, he asked. Luke hesitated. This young man with his sin-seared, weary face had won in the games. His rudest lay on the ground beside him, and he would probably be consorting with men of high stations as soon as he recovered. Already the first rumbles that were to end in the great tempest of the persecutions were making themselves heard. Some of their group had already been tied and sentenced. Paul was in prison, and it would not do to give anyone away. He replied diplomatically, Do you know Master Aquila before? Yes, I knew him when I was a boy back in Ephesus. Last night he passed me in the street, and I was deep in trouble, and it was good to see one face that I knew. I called out to him in my weakness and sickness, and then I knew no more. It was good of him to bring me here. Yes, Mistress Priscilla is a woman full of good works who has nursed men who are homeless and needy. I understand you have met her before, too. Yes, also in Ephesus. How strange it is. During these two years in Rome, I have seen no kind face and found no good thing save in one, and him I killed with my own hands in the arena last night. And now it seems as though chance or the gods have brought me to those who care for me. Life is cheap in Rome. Why was I not left to die in the street or cast myself into Tiber as I proposed? It would have been better for me. But you say you knew Master Aquila and, and Mistress Priscilla. Would you have expected them to leave you to die in the streets? No, because they worship their God, Christ, and he enjoins them to be merciful. It seems to me that you too, Master Luke, worship Christ, for you have doctored me well and made no bargain as to fees. But I can pay you what I owe, and Mistress Priscilla too. Up in the barracks my reward awaits for me. Only last night I had no heart for it. Luke did not seem interested. Then you have heard of Christ. Many times. Priscilla will tell you that I am a freed slave. My master was a Christian in all of his household. Then do us this favor, which is better than gold. When you return to fame and great riches, do not betray this house, nor those who can't who come here. Some of them you may meet daily in Caesar's palace. Do not recognize them. The times are hard for those who follow Christ, and the emperor frowns upon us. Remember that you received good, and forget this home. You are safe. I have no taste to return to the great and famous. I am sickened with the bloodshed and pleasure and drunkenness and hate. Then stay with us and learn of Christ. There was a pause. and Onesimus was silence. Luke rose, for his patient's eyes were bright with fever. I will see you again on the morrow, he said. Farewell. But he did not leave the house. He crossed over to the room opening out of the courtyard, and soon Mistress Priscilla appeared with strengthening food and wine, and Levi, who was now a fine boy of twelve, stayed and helped him eat. His father, Aquila, had not yet come home. But Onesimus could not sleep. For one thing, something was happening in the house. Every few minutes the outer door opened softly and Onesimus could see the dark forms of men 
women and children crowding into the room on the far side of the trarium. He could hear anxious whispering in the voice of Luke, the physician, reasoning with them. By the light of a tiny lamp, the sick boy could see them huddled together, their shadows thrown grotesquely on the floor in the courtyard. The lamp stood on the table, and there was a cup and bread. Suddenly their voice rose in a hymn, and Onesimus lifted up his head and strained his ears to listen. Clear and sweet through the darkness the words reached him. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. If we die with him, we shall also reign with him. Sinners? What a sinner he had been. What treachery, what lies, what hatred. It was too late now, for he had long ago spurned Jesus Christ and fled from him. The voices droned on one after the other. He could not catch what they were saying, and he dozed a little. And then suddenly he woke, for someone was concluding a reading, and his voice rang out strong and vibrant through the little house. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor power nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And maybe not distant either, not land nor sea, thought Onesimus with a little shudder. He had fled thousands of furlongs from the voice of that love, and yet he could not get away from it. Could it be that those swift, terrible feet were pursuing him even now, had nearly caught up with him? Must he soon turn and face this God of love? When Aquila came tiptoeing in later to settle him for the night, he found his patient trembling and drenched in perspiration. What is that book you're reading, asked Onesimus abruptly when they had greeted each other. We read from the letter Paul wrote us four years ago, replied Aquila. We just returned from Ephesus when it arrived. The little church had only learned of Christ by those who had heard of him from others, and when things are passed from mouth to mouth, they become confused. He wrote to explain just why Christ died, but we still had many questions. It was a great day for us when Paul arrived in Rome. Onesimus, in spite of his weakness, half set up. Paul, he repeated, in Rome, you do not mean to say that he is here now. Why, yes, replied Aquila. He's been here for over a year. He was brought as a prisoner because he appealed to Caesar, but they treat him quite kindly. He lives in his own hired house and is allowed to receive guests and to write his letters. Only, of course, he is chained day and night to, to a guard, so there is no privacy. But Onesimus was not listening. I must go and see him, he said. And tomorrow we'll read chapter 21. I love you. I'm praying for you. And we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.